appendix part twelve of the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine appendix criticism of the kantian philosophy part twelve for all that happens happens necessarily because it happens from causes but these themselves have again causes so that the whole of the events of the world great and small are a strict concatenation of necessary occurrences accordingly everything actual is also necessary and in the real world there is no difference between actuality and necessity and in the same way no difference between actuality and possibility for what has not happened that is has not become actual was also not possible because the causes without which it could never appear have not themselves appeared nor could appear in the great concatenation of causes thus it was an impossibility every event is therefore either necessary or impossible all this holds good only of the empirically real world that is the complex of individual things thus of the whole particular as such if on the other hand we consider things generally comprehending them in abstracto necessity actuality and possibility are again separated we then know everything which is in accordance with the a priori laws which belong to our intellect as possible in general that which corresponds to the empirical laws of nature as possible in this world even if it has never become actual thus we distinguish clearly the possible from the actual the actual is in itself always also necessary but is only comprehended as such by him who knows its cause regarded apart from this it is and is called contingent this consideration also gives us the key to that contentio peri dunaton between the megaric diodorus and chrysippus the stoic which cicero refers to in his book de fato diodorus says only what becomes actual was possible and all that is actual is also necessary chrysippus on the other hand says much that is possible never becomes actual for only the necessary becomes actual we may explain this thus actuality is the conclusion of a syllogism to which possibility gives the premises but for this is required not only the major but also the minor only the two give complete possibility the major gives a merely theoretical general possibility in abstracto but this of itself does not make anything possible that is capable of becoming actual for this the minor also is needed which gives the possibility for the particular case because it brings it under the rule and thereby it becomes at once actual for example major premise all houses consequently also my house can be destroyed by fire minor premise my house is on fire conclusion my house is being destroyed by fire for every general proposition thus every major always determines things with reference to actuality only under a presupposition therefore hypothetically for example the capability of being burnt down has as a presupposition the catching fire this presupposition is produced in the minor the major always loads the cannon but only if the minor brings the match does the shot that is the conclusion follow 
this holds good throughout of the relation of possibility to actuality since now the conclusion which is the assertion of actuality always follows necessarily it is evident from this that all that is actual is also necessary which can also be seen from the fact that necessity only means being the consequent of a given reason this is in the case of the actual a cause thus everything actual is necessary accordingly we see here the conceptions of the possible the actual and the necessary unite and not merely the last presuppose the first but also the converse what keeps them apart is the limitation of our intellect through the form of time for time is the mediator between possibility and actuality the necessity of the particular event may be fully seen from the knowledge of all its causes but the concurrence of the whole of these different and independent causes seems to us contingent indeed their independence of each other is just the conception of contingency since however each of them was the necessary effect of its causes the chain of which has no beginning it is evident that contingency is merely a subjective phenomenon arising from the limitation of the horizon of our understanding and just as subjective as the optical horizon at which the heavens touch the earth since necessity is the same thing as following from given grounds it must appear in a special way in the case of every form of the principle of sufficient reason and also have its opposite in the possibility and impossibility which always arises only through the application of the abstract reflection of the reason to the object therefore the four kinds of necessity mentioned above stand opposed to as many kinds of impossibility physical logical mathematical and practical it may further be remarked that if one remains entirely within the province of abstract concepts possibility is always connected with the more general and necessity with the more limited concept for example an animal may be a bird a fish an amphibious creature etc a nightingale must be a bird a bird must be an animal an animal must be an organism an organism must be a body this is because logical necessity the expression of which is the syllogism proceeds from the general to the particular and never conversely in the concrete world of nature ideas of the first class on the contrary everything is really necessary through the law of causality only added reflection can conceive it as also contingent comparing it with that which is not its cause and also as merely and purely actual by disregarding all causal connection only in this class of ideas does the conception of the actual properly occur as is also shown by the derivation of the word from the conception of causality in the third class of ideas that of pure mathematical perception or intuition if we confine ourselves strictly to it there is only necessity possibility occurs here also only through relation to the concepts of reflection for example a triangle may be right-angled obtuse-angled or equiangular its three angles must be equal to two right angles thus here we only arrive at the possible through the transition from the perceptible to the abstract after this exposition which presupposes the recollection of what was said both in the essay on the principle of sufficient reason and in the first book of the present work there will it is hoped be no further doubt as to the true and very heterogeneous source of those forms 
which the table of judgments lays before us nor as to the inadmissibility and utter groundlessness of the assumption of twelve special functions of the understanding for the explanation of them the latter point is also supported by a number of special circumstances very easily noted thus for example it requires great love of symmetry and much trust in a clue derived from it to lead one to assume that an affirmative a categorical and an assertatory judgment are three such different things that they justify the assumption of an entirely special function of the understanding for each of them kant himself betrays his consciousness of the untenable nature of his doctrine of the categories by the fact that in the third chapter of the analytic of principles phenomena et noumena several long passages of the first edition pages two forty one two forty two two forty four through two forty six and two forty eight through two fifty three are omitted in the second passages which display the weakness of that doctrine too openly so for example he says there page two forty one that he has not defined the individual categories because he could not define them even if he had wished to do so inasmuch as they were susceptible of no definition in saying this he forgot that at page eighty two of the same first edition he had said i purposely dispense with the definition of the categories although i may be in possession of it this then was sit venia verbo wind but this last passage he has allowed to stand and so all those passages wisely omitted afterwards betray the fact that nothing distinct can be thought in connection with the categories and this whole doctrine stands upon a weak foundation this table of the categories is now made the guiding clue according to which every metaphysical and indeed every scientific inquiry is to be conducted prolegomena section thirty nine and in fact it is not only the foundation of the whole kantian philosophy and the type according to which its symmetry is everywhere carried out as i have already shown above but it has already become the procrustean bed into which kant forces every possible inquiry by means of a violence which i shall now consider somewhat more closely but with such an opportunity what must not the imitatores sevum pecus have done we have seen that violence then is applied in this way the meaning of the expressions denoted by the titles forms of judgment and categories is entirely set aside and forgotten and the expressions alone are retained these have their source partly in aristotle's analytica priora one twenty three peri poietitas kai posotitas tontu sulogismu oron de qualitate et quantitate terminorum syllogismi but are arbitrarily chosen for the extent of the concepts might certainly have been otherwise expressed than through the word quantity though this word is more suited to its object than the rest of the titles of the categories even the word quality has obviously been chosen on account of the custom of opposing quality to quantity for the name quality is certainly taken arbitrarily enough for affirmation and negation but now in every inquiry instituted by kant every quantity in time and space and every possible quality of things physical moral etc is brought by him under those category titles although between these things and those titles of the forms of judgment and of thought there is absolutely nothing in common except the accidental and arbitrary nomenclature it is needful to keep in mind all the respect 
which in other regards is due to kant to enable one to refrain from expressing in hard terms one's repugnance to this procedure the nearest example is afforded us at once by the pure physiological table of the general principles of natural science what in all the world has the quantity of judgments to do with the fact that every perception has an extensive magnitude what has the quality of judgments to do with the fact that every sensation has a degree the former rests rather on the fact that space is the form of our external perception and the latter is nothing more than an empirical and moreover entirely subjective feeling drawn merely from the consideration of the nature of our organs of sense further in the table which gives the basis of rational psychology critique of pure reason page three forty four and four o two the simplicity of the soul is cited under quality but this is just a quantitative property and has absolutely no relation to the affirmation or negation in the judgment but quantity had to be completed by the unity of the soul which is however already included in its simplicity then modality is forced in in an absurd way the soul stands in connection with possible objects but connection belongs to relation only this is already taken possession of by substance then the four cosmological ideas which are the material of the antinomies are referred to the titles of the categories but of this we shall speak more fully further on when we come to the examination of these antinomies several if possible still more glaring examples are to be found in the table of the categories of freedom in the critique of practical reason also in the first book of the critique of judgment which goes through the judgment of taste according to the four titles of the categories and finally in the metaphysical first principles of natural science which are entirely adapted to the table of the categories whereby the false that is mingled here and there with what is true and excellent in this important work is for the most part introduced see for example at the end of the first chapter how the unity the multiplicity and the totality of the directions of lines are supposed to correspond to the categories which are so named according to the quantity of judgments the principle of the permanence of substance is deduced from the category of subsistence and inherence this however we know only from the form of the categorical judgment that is from the connection of two concepts as subject and predicate with what violence then is that great metaphysical principle made dependent upon this simple purely logical form yet this is only done pro forma and for the sake of symmetry the proof of this principle which is given here sets entirely aside its supposed origin in the understanding and in the category and is based upon the pure intuition or perception of time but this proof also is quite incorrect it is false that in mere time there is simultaneity and duration these ideas only arise from the union of space with time as i have already shown in the essay on the principle of sufficient reason section eighteen and worked out more fully in section four of the present work i must assume a knowledge of both these expositions for the understanding of what follows it is false that time remains the same through all change on the contrary it is just time itself that is fleeting a permanent time is a contradiction kant's proof is untenable strenuously as he has supported it with sophisms indeed he falls into the most palpable contradictions thus 
after he has falsely set up coexistence as a mode of time page one seventy seven two nineteen he says quite rightly page one eighty three two twenty six coexistence is not a mode of time for in time there are absolutely no parts together but all in succession in truth space is quite as much implicated in coexistence as time for if two things are coexistent and yet not one they are different in respect of space if two states of one thing are coexistent for example the glow and the heat of iron then they are two contemporaneous effects of one thing therefore presuppose matter and matter presupposes space strictly speaking coexistence is a negative determination which merely signifies that two things or states are not different in respect of time thus their difference is to be sought for elsewhere but in any case our knowledge of the permanence of substance that is of matter must be based upon insight a priori for it is raised above all doubt and therefore cannot be drawn from experience i deduce it from the fact that the principle of all becoming and passing away the law of causality of which we are conscious a priori is essentially concerned only with the changes that is the successive states of matter is thus limited to the form and leaves the matter untouched which therefore exists in our consciousness as a foundation of all things which is not subject to becoming or passing away which has therefore always been and will always continue to be end of appendix part twelve recording by expatriate in bangor maine